Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yes, yes. Welcome in to questions from the audience on the Tim McKernan Show. It is uh, the podcast recorded from a basement, which would make it like probably 98% of the podcasts out there. But in this case, I have a studio option, but sometimes I'm just feeling it. And I go, you know what, Gangster Pete, don't worry. I'm going to record it from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios, which are in my basement and I'm just going to flow because I'm in a mood. And right now I'm in a mood. And therefore, uh, I, need to, I need to express myself. I actually have written down notes for the first time in questions from the audience history to give me some kind of a, of a, of a format, not because I want to suddenly start formatting. Uh, I've been doing this stuff now for 20 plus years, and that would make me really uncomfortable, but because there are things that I want to make sure that I get to and and to make sure that I, I, I check all of the boxes, uh, because I've been saying on social media um, and on the radio show that I would talk about these things on questions from the audience, and I want to make sure that I do. Plus, I've gotten some really good emails that I wanted to make sure that I, uh, that I got to. We did not do one. Last week, as I felt like ah, most people probably aren't going to be looking for one on uh, on Christmas Day with uh, Christmas falling on a Wednesday. But this week, even though New Year's is on a on a Wednesday, I wanted to make sure that we uh, that we had one this week. And um, and so therefore, I, I guess I'm, I'm loaded for bear and I've saved up for a couple of weeks with uh, hashtag takes. Uh, if you haven't listened to the interview with my father, which is, uh, we're letting that one, uh, be our holiday interview. So, uh, this past week during Christmas and this week during the new year, it's up and it's been, um, incredibly rewarding to get the feedback I've gotten on it. And, um, it resonated with people in sales like I thought it might. I didn't think that would even really be a big focal point of the interview presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies, online at evergreenstl.com. Um, going into the interview, I thought, I, I, as I said a number of times, I thought we would just start weeping. But that never happened. guess it shows my dad can turn on the uh, professional and uh, and separate the personal, and he was in professional mode. So a lot of it wound up being about sales, and it wasn't intended to be, but that, that was his career, I guess to an extent it still is, uh, in the sense that he still makes calls. But for a lot of people in sales, and not media sales even, although that also would, would include people in media, media sales who texted me about it or emailed me about it, but people in sales in general, 
it's I guess it was it was it was the equivalent of listening to a coach or a manager who won a bunch of games explaining how he went about winning those games. That's the way I would describe it. Um, even though it was not, it wasn't like a, you know, Tony LaRusso, let's sit down and talk about your strategy for winning baseball games. That's not what it was. It was really supposed to be more about um, his life and, and uh, uh, parenting. Been, you know, kind of looking back, it wound up being a lot about his mindset in selling and, and and then that ties into the St. Louis sports radio and sports television landscape, which he was a part of. But, uh, the, the, and I was listening to him like, God, this is why he was so successful. You know, you hear these things. And because all I did for all of my life was hear these things, you tune them out. Not because you're like, screw this, he doesn't know what he's talking about, but if you hear it all the time, you don't realize that outside of your house, not everybody's talking like this. And then you start getting around people and you realize, oh, not everybody talks like this. And oftentimes those people aren't winning. They are not being successful in particular in in this business. And then you see the response that my dad gets when he goes out and makes calls or just calls people in general. It is it is a it is a talent that I look at, I would listen to down the hallway, my office from his office when we were both at Inside STL at 1900 Locust in downtown St. Louis, and I would just sit there and go, how in the world does he do this? I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I guess I guess I could. I could pick up the phone and call strangers and attempt to engage them like he did, like he still does, but I could never... You know, if I'm if I'm starting on the one yard line and he's starting on the one yard line, if I got to the five yard line, it would be a miracle, and he would wind up in the end zone, ninety nine yards away, so many times. That's what he did. It's and I don't know. I maybe I don't think it's one of those things. I guess because it just it's natural for him that uh, probably doesn't realize it's a talent. But that's my dad, and so even though it wasn't really the plan going into that interview at all, uh, the response on now I get why your dad is, you know, considered one of the greatest salespeople in St. Louis history, St. Louis media history, after listening to that. You can hear it. It's in, and as I was sitting there, I'm going, oh, this is, this, is, this is becoming a clinic. This is becoming like a how-to uh, for, for salespeople. So if you have not listened to it, I'd recommend it. Of course, it does get into, you know, uh, being a father to me and my two brothers and sister. And it was the impetus for what is now turned into something that, that it actually, I, it's like filling up my schedule, which is great because God, I mean, I'm recording this on December 30th, 2019. And if I'm not mistaken, it was about a month ago where I was debating whether or not to interview my dad. Maybe a month and oh, it couldn't have been much more, though, because in the middle of uh, November, I was out of town. And I think I talked about it when I got back from vacation. I'm pretty sure. And I didn't get back from vacation like the 23rd or something. So anyway, the reason why I bring it up is this is also new 
And for those of you who listen to this podcast on a regular basis, the questions from the audience, you've been around since the beginning. And the beginning isn't years ago, it's a month ago. And that was when somebody asked me about interviewing my dad. Well, it wasn't just somebody, it had come up often. And I just kept saying, yeah, I don't want to do it. You know, I I just feel like, because I know him. And he gets really emotional. Uh, My brother, as a matter of fact, uh, was telling me a story. We did this thing for my mom's birthday this year where we all kind of recorded stories and thank yous and, um, on a, you know, like kind of on our phone cameras, nothing like, you know, produced like in a studio or anything like that. And my brother Kevin was telling me that he, my dad couldn't get through it. it just, you know, just like a little something on a phone camera, uh, without breaking down. And he had to, you know, do a number of takes because, He just, he thinks about my mom and that's the way he gets. Um, And so I thought that that's what would happen if he came in and did the podcast and then he wouldn't be able to get through it. My analogy, even though I realize this is resonating with uh, 5% of the listening audience at best is Bill Mazeroski's Hall of Fame speech. And I don't, you know, all I know about Bill Mazeroski is he used to write some magazine, or at least his name was on some magazine in the 80s that I would look forward to pre, for preseason baseball. Uh, with like, I always would look to see where they had the Cardinals in the standings. And if they didn't have them in first place and at the time, the NL East, I would be furious at the publication because that's rational. But that was his magazine. I had no idea about his home run for the Pirates to win the World Series. So he gets into the Hall of Fame. Perhaps in some baseball people's opinions, Uh, Not necessarily up there with other Hall of Famers, but when he got the award, he was so overwhelmed. He had this big speech prepared, and I think he got like 20 seconds in, and he could barely get a word out. He was so overcome, and that's what I thought might happen with my dad, and I didn't want it to do that. Now, since it's not live radio or live television, if it happened, I could have just, you know edited it or never even didn't have to see the light of day but as it played out it didn't work out that way but because of that fear I didn't want to do it and then and I thank those of you who did it whether this be via email via dm via the tma fan page said you know you should do it while you have the choice because inevitably at some point you won't have the option And that hit home for me. And then others said something along the lines of, if you're not comfortable, that's understandable, but think about what it would mean to your son and your brother's kids. Um, And if my sister were to have kids, think about that. And that's, that's when I started having this conversation with myself, which essentially, unless Gangster Pete is with me, questions from the audience is. And I said, God, yeah, I gotta do it. I, I have to do it. I don't have to do it for me or for my dad. I have to do it for, for my son and my brother's daughters and my other brother's son. And if Mara winds up having kids and, you know, I, I got to, I, I, I owe it to them. And then it became, became this standard wandering thought of, man, if I could get in the car right now and listen to an interview with my grandfather, I always, for whatever reason, think of my mom's dad, who I was very close to, um, but any of my grandparents, God, what I wouldn't do for that. I would love that. I would love that. Or, you know, and then it, then it became, or is somebody emailed in about um, if, if kids, and by that I mean like the sons and daughters or grandsons and daughters 
as a gift to the parents or as a gift to the grandfather, grandmother, the grandparents in general would record their own thing. A listener by the name of Keith Creech sent that in. And I thought, God, that's brilliant. So that's actually what my, uh, my brothers and sister and I gave my parents for Christmas. They came into the studio and we just sat for like an hour and 10 minutes and, and expressed our gratitude with stories to my parents, which they listened to, um, you know, right after Christmas on their drive down to, uh, to uh, Hilton Head where they go right after Christmas. And they just loved it. They, they, I mean, because what my thought on that was, I thought Keith's idea was brilliant. But then I also thought so often these words aren't said until you're eulogizing your parents or your grandparents. And at that point, you're not telling them. You're telling other people, but you're not telling them. And maybe for some people, and I might fall into this category... Uh, you think it would just be awkward just to sit across from my mom or my dad and like pour my heart out like that. And I, and I get it. I, I think I kind of would feel that. I think my dad and my mom might feel that way themselves. I don't know. I, I don't think, I don't think it's uncommon. Um, I was watching something. I don't know why this comes to mind on MLB network about the Ripkins and uh, Cal Ripken and Billy Ripken played for their dad, Cal Ripken senior when he was managing the Orioles and just said it was a hard man. Uh, he was, you know, he was hardcore and, uh, and it wasn't until later in life that we started getting comfortable saying, I love you and expressing those things. And I'm glad we did because there came a point where he passed away and all I wanted to do was be able to say it. And so you kind of, you have to, you have to allow yourself to enter into this morbid, but yet honest thought process that at some point, one of you is not going to be around. And so get it on the record express these feelings, express these thoughts. And so that's what led to the still unnamed um, venture that is interviewing people's, at this point, parents and grandparents, although I don't want to limit it to that. But I think at this point, as I'm sitting here right now, I've done five of them. And all of next week, the week after New Year's, is booked, I guess, with the exception of Monday. But Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And, and they keep coming in. And it was interesting to see on Christmas Eve and Christmas how many just, I mean, people emailing me on Christmas Eve and Christmas. Fine with me. I don't get upset about that stuff. I don't have to, to read it in the moments. Like they're invading my, my holiday time. But it was interesting to see how many I got at that time. Because I think people were sitting around family during the holidays and go, God, I got to do this. I'm listening to my mother or father, my grandmother, my grandfather talk. And I got to do this. And so that's, th- th- this has turned into something and it doesn't happen without the people who listen to this podcast, for real. It does not happen without the people who listen to this podcast encouraging me to do the interview with my father. And then that led to the train of thought of, yeah, why wouldn't I? And it's, it's like the one thing that I know I will not regret doing. I know I won't regret doing it because now no matter what, I will always have that, and my son and my brother's daughters and my brother's son will always have two hours of my dad telling his life story. So now I'm like, I got to do this with my mom. I got to do this with my wife's parents. I got And I offered it up to more family members at, at, uh, at Christmas. And, and, and it's, you know, somebody right before I started recording this 
emailed me about doing it and you know because I, I try to offer two different price points um, and eventually ideally once we come up with a name uh, we'll have a website and um, and we can have it so people don't feel obligated to email me because they feel like they're bothering me and for the record you're not bothering me at all DMs on Facebook bother me and I don't know why I think it's the sound that bothers me it's like Pavlov's dog but uh, I was asking because I offer one prize for a certain amount of time and then one prize for an unlimited amount of time. And this person was saying, um, you know, what what has your experience been with the ones that are shorter? And I said, honestly, at this point, nobody has done that, but I want to offer it because I want it to be available to as many people as possible. Um, but what I've noticed is uh, three things. Every interview has gone more than an hour. Uh, and I would say the average one has gone about an hour and 15 minutes. Every one of them so far, either the person being interviewed or the person who contacted me to schedule the interview uh, has gotten emotional or in a couple of cases, both. Um, and across the board, which I guess is maybe something that sounds like some people think of, which I don't think of, but it makes sense. Uh Everybody has, uh, there was that face. Did you hear the Facebook sound? Did you hear it? I just happened to be talking about it. Uh, oh, and how about this? Podcast with your pops was outstanding. I'm at the pre-laundromat stage in my career, bored after 23 years. Just a gentleman, I have no idea who he is, but he was kind enough to send that message, and it happened to be on DM on Facebook. And I will kindly respond. Um, you can hear the little Facebook how about this? How about I? How about I turn my phone off? I'm not doing this like out of my eighth grade project. Um, is that uh, I think people wonder if their family members who come in to be interviewed will be comfortable? Fair question. And in each case, that's been like the number one thing. I I don't know. I didn't know that guy. I mean, why would anybody know who the hell I am? Especially if they're you know in their eighties or nineties has been with the case with a couple of them. But I felt like I could have talked to him forever, which is great. I have no idea why, because if anything, I think I'm incredibly abrasive. But, uh, and I'm sure you agree. But for whatever reason, um, in that mode, I'm just, I'm just inquisitive, I guess, and curious. And so I'm just, I'm, I find myself like leaning forward. It's a physical tell, even though it's not intended to be, as I'm listening to these stories. And people get comfortable and they tell their stories and they get emotional. And that's not, it's not like I'm like, okay, I got to make them cry. It's not, if anything, I don't necessarily want that, but it winds up happening because, you know, something stands out to me uh, is a number of people have uh, talked about their parents passing. And in some cases, you know, you're going back 60 or 70 years and how that emotion is right there under the surface. Even, you know, if this person lost their parents in the 50s, it, you bring it up and it's just, it's right there. That's, I guess many of you might be like, well, of course. But I don't know, for whatever reason, it's kind of like, yeah, with the time, you kind of, the, the wound kind of heals and it just doesn't. It just doesn't. It's under, it's always under the surface. Uh, the importance of family. Everyone has said that. Uh the, the holidays in particular drive drive that home, you know, because everybody's together. And I guess as time goes on, you just don't see anybody or see everybody like you used to. So that stands out. But the response of the people who book these and when they listen to them, um, 
as I was saying to the person um, who emailed me asking about it, uh, and I said, yeah, we haven't done one that's that's less than an hour yet, um, but I, I, I'm certainly open to it. It'll be an adjustment for me if and when that happens because I'm going to have to be quicker. But uh, but so the, 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 the thought process behind it is to try to open it up to as many people as possible. Um, that, you know, with the radio show, it's great. And I love it. And I is, you know, as long as we can do it, we'll do it. You know, I mean, it's, 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 an, it's, you know, I mean, there's just, it's, it's a lottery ticket. And, and, and I'm not talking about financially, uh, as if to say I'm making $180 million or something for doing the radio show. But I'm talking about the odds of being on a radio show that you love as much as you do and uh, have been doing, you know, with, I mean, I guess you've had a couple of pieces come in and out, but it's not like there's been this revolving door of pieces. Uh, and by pieces, I mean producers slash castmates. Um, there's been a total of four main hosts over the course of 15 years, you know, the dug in for Martin, me and the cat. I mean, to have that is unheard of. And, um, you know, I don't know, a handful of producers. I mean, we're just so lucky and we love it. And we laugh. Same thing I say almost any time I get asked about TMA. But the difference on this is, is I, I know, and I know TMA means a lot to people, but this is like something that I'm doing, um, that I'm, I'm seeing this response and it's so fulfilling because I know it's making people happy and will give them something that, uh, they will have forever. You know, my voice is on there and that's not what's important to me. What I'm saying is their family member's voice will be on there. And so therefore I feel a responsibility to make sure that I help tell their story. And so this has been, this has been something else. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's weird because you can work on an idea and try and perfect it and do all these things. And then even when you do, it may not work out. And then in the case of this thing, it was, a, I mean, it was just a, it just was an accident. <laughs> it was an absolute accident. It was an accident. And, and, and it's turned into what it's turned into. And it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, um, it's, it's funny to, to, to my, my, my brother, Kevin, when we did the thing for my parents was saying how his love of improv, he owns the improv shop, um, which has now been around for um, a decade. Uh, and uh, he started the thing, I mean, to his credit, started uh, upstairs a tin can on Locust, and now he's got his own building um, in the Grove, and it's super popular. And he's like, if I wouldn't have gone to improv, you know, just being curious about an improv show at Indiana University when he was there, then I probably wouldn't have pursued, you know, uh, being around Second City in Chicago. And then, of course, then opening up the improv shop. And he said, now after all these years, all so many of these students, they've become friends and or in some cases gotten to know uh, people and even gotten married. 
because of that venue. I think the improv shop kind of has a similar thing to the TMA family where it's, it's a group of people who are passionate about it. And so they become friends because they have this common interest and in some cases spouses. And he was thinking to himself, it's an amazing domino of coincidence in that if he doesn't go to that improv show that night in, in Bloomington, Indiana, so many of these things may not have happened. And it, it kind of hits you. And so taking a step back with regard to just this, not even going back on TMA, but I go, God, if, if it, you know, what if I, what if I, what if people wouldn't have emailed me about um, making sure that I interview my dad? I, I just was, I mean, I've been asked about it for a while now. I mean, the podcast at this point started in 2017. So, you know, we got a couple of years under our belt here and, uh, I've been asked about it, not like hundreds of times, but, you know, 25, 30 times. And it was just like, yeah, not, not something I really want to do. And then some people were kind enough to lay out the reasons why, in their opinion, I should at least give it another, give it another consideration. And I did. And then it leads to this wandering down a road and you start thinking about it. And now it leads to doing something that, again, don't get me wrong, there's, there's business components of it, but it's not like you know, and I say this, I don't know how to say it without it coming off the wrong way. It's not like it's, it's my main job. My main job is, is hosting TMA. So, and this podcast. And so it's, it's a side thing, but this one is much, I mean, nothing's going to make me laugh more than TMA. Uh, Nothing I think is going to allow me to express my inquisitive nature with regard to interviews and my rambling thought process more than this podcast, but nothing in my career has been as fulfilling as sitting across from somebody and first off their family member entrusting me to help tell their story but then secondarily to you know capture on audio someone's life story for their family members and then the cherry on top is the response i mean it's the it's the best it's the absolute best it's the absolute best it's the greatest compliment i've, I've received my favorite compliment used to be, I really disagree with you. I have a feeling I disagree with your politics, which I like because that meant they weren't really sure what my politics were. <laughs> and I don't really know what my politics are. I just get a bad feeling on some people. That's essentially what it is. And they can both be Republicans and Democrats. Um, but uh, I don't necessarily think I like your politics, but I respect the way you go about it or respect the the fact that you've been able to you know, create this thing and do this thing. So it's kind of like, I, I think it was kind of a way of saying, I really don't like you. I'm uncomfortable with some of the shit you say, but I respect that. And that was wonderful. That was my favorite. That was my favorite one. Um, and I respect the people for saying that cause that's not usually common. Usually people will find somebody that they don't like, and then we'll then just have to advance the narrative. That person therefore must be bad and can't really acknowledge that. Okay. I'm wrong or fuck. I hate this content, but I have to acknowledge that it's working. Uh, this though is the best. This is the best. It's meant so much to me. I'm telling you, I, you know, I love it. I love it. I want to do more with it. Uh, I just got to figure out a name. I keep going through names and then so my wife and I will talk about it and I'll go, you know, you have to keep in mind, it's not necessarily about the perfect name because was, you know, something like Facebook. I mean, what the hell did that mean? But now you know what it means. Facebook's now a verb. Uh, it just has to be simple, somewhat tell the story 
and uh, and then we can get this out to more people. Because really, the only place I've talked about it is the podcast and the TMA fan page. I really haven't spent time on it on the radio. Um, and it's it's like I said, it's an honor to be able to to do it. And I love doing it. I love doing it. I love doing it. Because with politicians, athletes, whatever the case might be, I already have an idea of what the story is. I'm still curious what their answers are. But in these cases, I'm learning as, as we go. You know, all of a sudden, I, one gentleman's um, had a brother pass away in a war. And as it turns out, his, uh, his grandson was going into the exact same branch of the military that his brother was in when he was killed in Korea. And this gentleman uh, got very emotional talking about it. And then the person who booked the interview for his grandfather emailed me and said, I've heard my grandfather cry twice in my life. And he's a hard man. Now I could tell, I could tell you, I could tell, I told you that within five minutes of talking to him. He's a hardcore guy. Uh, he goes, once was when uh, I was listening to the podcast, which absolutely made me pull off to the side of the road because I was so emotional listening to it. And the other time was when I called him to tell him I was going into uh, the army and he begged me not to do it. And only from listening to him tell the story about his brother dying in Korea did I realize what my decision to do the same thing had done to him because he didn't want to see another family member lost. Um, and that's why he was so emotional about it because it didn't resonate with me until then. And it's like, man, I'm, I mean, I'm, I, I'm, it's just, you know, people are opening up and telling their stories and I'm just so, uh, I don't know. It's a, it's an honor. The word I keep using is an, I got to come up with a different word for it. So, you know, my brothers and sister and I do this for my parents for Christmas. I'm so glad we did that. So glad we did that. Because one of those, once you schedule it, then it's like, okay, we got to get this thing done. We got to make sure they hear it. Because once they hear it, now they've, now they've always heard. No matter whatever happens, something happens to any of us, that's always there. And I got to make sure now that the interview with my dad's scheduled, now I got to make sure I get it done. So now we'll always have that. Because you don't know. And so, I don't know. It, uh, this last month with this accidental adventure has been really fulfilling, really rewarding. And, uh, and again, the, the word I keep using is uh, honor. So any uh, questions, thoughts on that, if you want to do it with your family member or your brothers and sisters or whatever and come in and talk uh, as a gift for your parents or grandparents, email me at tmckernan at insidestl.com. At some point when I come up with a name, and we're, it's not like we're like at a loss, we're just trying to come up with the right one. There'll be a website, and um, there'll be no need to, to email me, and it'll explain everything there. But that's um, yeah, private. It's not for broadcasting. Like it's for the family members to have and keep and, uh, and, and, and share with whomever they're comfortable with in the family. So uh, considering it was uh, Christmas and considering it's what we did uh, for um, my parents, that was at the top of my mind uh, going through uh, the holiday week because it meant so much to my family, not just my parents listening to it, but also my brothers and sisters to be my brothers, brothers and sister to be able to do it. So that's a positive. 
Um, as I am one to do, though, I can't possibly be all positive. Although I guess this is a positive, it's depending on how you look at it. So in what became almost like a social experiment, after I went and saw The Irishman with my uh, my brother, Kevin, and my dad on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, totally a spontaneous thing, um, and loved the movie. I came home and recorded a question from the audience, essentially raving about the movie. And as some people have pointed out, which I do think is astute, is, but also something that is, 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 is a fascinating thing to me, that if I take a passionate stand on something, something that's subjective, that you will immediately have some people who will automatically say, I agree with Tim, just to say, I agree with Tim. And then you will have some people who will automatically have to say, I disagree just for the sake of saying they disagree with me because of the fear that I always give the cat credit or blame, take your pick of words for, which is the lemming phenomenon. And not I'm talking about actual lemmings, but I'm talking about people being so conscious of being called lemmings. This is a phenomenon the cat created back in the aughts with an, an audience that is, for the most part, come and gone and has reintroduced over the last few years to make it a, a common part of TMA lexicon. It is part of the nomenclature. And, uh, and so, sure enough, that became a thing like, oh, you don't like the Irishman, you're taking a shot at Tim, as if I had anything to do with the picture. I loved the movie. And if everyone else hated the movie, it wouldn't change my experience of loving the movie. If someone likes it, they like it. If they don't, they don't. I love the movie. I don't know what it's like if, if somebody says, oh, I hate this particular restaurant's food and I love it. I don't go, well, so-and-so hated the food and this subjective experience that I had now has changed because they don't, I don't care. I enjoy the food. Like White Castle, for example. I'm one of the only people who eats White who like will go out of his way to eat White Castle sober and really look forward to it. It is a it is a problem in my marriage. My wife hates White Castle. She hates onions in general. So White Castle, you know, it's a big element of the uh, the treat. And so, really, I kind of reserve it to a point where I know she's going to be out, and it can and it can clear out the house for a few hours and get that fragrance out for. Uh, but even, you know, it's one of those things you pick it up in your car and it smells like that in your car for a couple of days. So I have to be conscious of that as well. So. But but it, people go, oh my God, White Castle, I can only eat that when I'm destroyed and, you know, shit-faced. It's like, cool, I like it sober. I don't, I don't not like it because somebody else now doesn't like it. So now along those lines. You know, James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency is my insurance agent. So this is a first-hand endorsement of James Carlton and his staff in Webster Groves, 314-961-4800, or go online at carltoninsurance.net. I think a lot of people just go, okay, well, I've got a guy, I've got a lady, I'm good, I don't really care to talk about insurance, it's something, you know, I'm 25, whatever, and that's fine. I understand. I used to think the same way, and then I go down to my basement on March 30th of 2019, and the basement's flooded, and the world changes. It just so happens because my interactions with James have been so positive that my wife and I switched to James Carlton uh, in late 2018. And I'm telling you, if we had not, the odyssey that has been a flooded basement throughout all of this precipitation in St. Louis 
would have been infinitely more difficult to navigate without somebody as active. And on top of it is James Carlton. His phone number is 314-961-4800, or you can go online at carltoninsurance.net. And even now, he still checks in. You know, I mean, it's it's just a different ball game. And even before we had that, which, of course, was a substantial issue, um, you know, we weren't covered on, on something or I've forgotten to make a payment. It wasn't like it was like some monster payment. It was a small payment. But he's like, hey, just so you know, uh, you haven't made this payment. We want to make sure that's taken care of so you're covered. It's just... It's, it's just different. It's different in a much better way. And that's why, you know, if, if you ran into me at a, at a bar or a restaurant and said, hey, you know, and I have had it happen. Hey, Tim, who's that insurance agent? People email me. And I go, oh, it's James Carlton. Here, let me include him on the on the email. And I know he's going to be on top of it. I don't think twice about it. It's not like I'm like, oh, yeah, let me tell you about him. And then somebody actually wants to follow up. And I'm like, oh, God, I hope he does okay. The best, the absolute best. And you're talking about your biggest investments, so you want to make sure they're taken care of properly. James Carlton and his staff at Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency will certainly do that. 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, call James Carlton, State Farm. Another film that's nominated, at least Golden Globe-wise, for Best Drama is A Marriage Story. And I honestly had no idea what it was about. And when I saw it, I'm like, oh, is, is it was that out all year? Is that just out? Oh, it's another, and I find out it's another Netflix thing, uh, like The Irishman. And so I said to Anna Marie uh, a couple of uh, nights ago, I said, hey, you want to watch a marriage? She's like, sure. And I knew Adam Driver was in it. I knew Scarlett Johansson was in it. But I mean, I didn't really know much about it. I knew it was about a divorce. And, um, and, I, and this is one of those situations I'm going to try and talk about it without spoiling it. I don't think I will. Um, but that's what I knew. And that's, that's essentially what I'm going to, uh, to leave it at outside of the compliments and the emotional observations I can make. The compliments would be rarely do I watch a movie and have an appreciation or an observation of uh, good or bad acting one way or the other. I want to withdraw, of course, any of my adult film watching because I recognize subpar theatrics in the stag films quite often, but I'll be candid with you. Usually I'm fast forwarding through, so it doesn't really bother me. Um, with The Irishman, I, 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 what I noticed with Joe Pesci was how it was just a completely different role than his roles in Goodfellas in Casino. That's what stood out to me about the Irishman, but I wasn't like, oh, I can tell they're really good here. I, did, I, did, I loved the story. That's what I loved about the Irishman. Loved it. Loved it. Um, but in this case, it's like, it was so well done from an acting standpoint and so emotionally draining from a viewer standpoint, for the first time in my life, we got, I think it, I think it's about two hours and 20 minutes, I think. And for about the first, after maybe the first 10, 15 minutes, for the next hour, I kept like, I, I didn't realize I was doing it, making audible sighs, as in... <sighs> And like checking my phone, I was checking my phone to see how much time had gone by because I was thinking, I can't keep watching this. I can't keep watching it. It is 
that emotionally brutal for me. And I've never had that with any movie. I, you know, I'm trying to think of anything that would be comparable. Uh, United 93, about Flight 93 from September 11th. If you've seen it, um, you know that, uh, that feeling that you have throughout of it, throughout the movie. And, uh, and when it ends, I remember seeing it in the theater and just the silence in the theater. Um, that would be something that would be somewhat comparable, but this was different, um, because it's not surrounding a well-known, you know, global tragedy. This is two people and, oh, I'm telling you. So we get, we, so we get an hour and 20 minutes in or so. And I say to Anna Marie, I said, I, I gotta be honest with you. I gotta go upstairs. You can keep watching it. I'm going to, I can't keep watching this. I can't do it. I cannot do it. And she goes, well, what's, what is it that's, and I explain some of the things. Um, and then I'm like, okay, I got to get, I got to get, because I don't know how it's, I have no idea how it's going to end. Maybe I will, you know, come out of this with a different emotion than I'm currently experiencing. And I'm not going to go into uh, any of my thoughts on the ending. I'm just going to talk about the experience and recommend the film, even though you're like, okay, so you're telling me this was so difficult for you to watch that uh, you can't, you couldn't get through it, but yet you're encouraging everybody listening to your show to to watch it. Yes, I am. I know it's it's a paradox, but uh, I, I actually think now that I've been through it, I want to go back and maybe watch it again because I'm sure there's some things where I was just like, it just, it just kept like being like, like punches to the stomach is the way I would describe it. And, um, and yet appreciating the manner with which I was getting punched in the stomach. So my understanding is the film Parasite is incredible. I know that's nominated as well. 1917 about World War One, also incredible. I'm trying to think what the other nominee is. Uh, and best picture drama. Oh, two popes. I haven't seen that one yet, but it's one of those years and they seem like they pop up. I don't know, once every five or 10 years where there's just so many great options. 97 stands out to me. You know, Titanic wasn't necessarily my bag, but I appreciate the movie. You know, I mean, I don't know how you really can't appreciate the movie. Um, but it also was a year with uh, L.A. Confidential, which I still haven't seen, by the way, which is odd. Um, but as good as it gets in one of my all-time favorites, Good Will Hunting. And I'm getting the sense that that might be the case this year. I feel like there's another year like that relatively recently um, where I'm just like, oh, my God, there's all these great choices. And then there, then there are a few years I'm just like, what? I don't even know what this shit is. I don't even watch it. I don't want to watch it. So... I've seen two of the best picture nominees from the Golden Globes. The Academy Awards have not been released yet. And all I can tell you is completely different films. And as much as I loved The Irishman, I don't know. I, I don't know if a marriage story for me is going to have the same power five, ten years from now that The Irishman will. Um, or Goodfellas, for example, will. But I just know that um, it, it, was, it was just... You know, uh, I'll be honest with you. I, Anna Marie looked over when it was over and I had tears in my eyes. It was, it was something else. So, uh, there is my, uh, moment of, uh, Siskel and Ebert for you here on the podcast as I, uh, recap 
uh, the week that was uh, over the course of the Christmas week as we were in the New Year's week now. And now I give you what uh, some of you probably came here for and, and didn't want to hear me go on and on and on and on and on about uh, the family interviews and um, and my film recommendations. And I wouldn't. And I'm not. I don't usually go on here and just uh, you know talk about the movies I've seen. But this one hit me so hard, and I and then I posted about it on the TMA fan page, and it seemed to have done the same to a number of other people as well. That uh, and also an appreciation for it that I thought I wanted to make sure I, uh, I gave people perspective on it. Um, manipulation. That would be the word that I would, uh, that, that would be my word coming, coming out of, uh, out of that one for the record. All right. Now this, now here we go. Now I go back into sports talk, radio host guy, which I don't know if I've ever really been, but I still, it doesn't mean I don't have opinions on stuff when it comes to sports and the Cardinals. I almost feel like this is worthy of some kind of like 60 minutes or real sports piece because I've talked about it. I don't know if I've ever gone like deep, 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 deep into it, but every year it kind of changes. And then this year makes it even stranger. This one, but I feel like I've said this a couple of times over the last five years or so. This one's really strange to me. I remember saying at spring training in 2018, that I have a great deal of anticipation for the upcoming season because there was going to be a substantial outcome one way or the other. And by that I meant either Mike Matheny was going to get fired, and as it turned out, he did, or the Cardinals were going to be really good and a lot of people who were critical of Matheny were going to have to eat shit. You couldn't have, one of those two things had to happen in 2018. Uh, in 2019, the destination became to return to the playoffs, and and they did. Um, as I said throughout the course of the postseason, and uh, and in those post game shows I did for my basement where I am right now, that I felt like it was almost kind of like it's it's like you 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 hit a parlay and you were playing with like the winnings on something that you know was unlikely. You getting winning the division. Uh, then, then getting past the Braves, then you're really with house money. But then something that went from house money and this feeling of, oh my God, this team that, you know, I don't think too many people would have put in the top four in Major League Baseball is one of the final four teams in Major League Baseball playing for a chance to yet again have a chance to play the Yankees in the World Series, something I keep wanting to see that seems to never happen. Got to go back to 64 Ford, even though they've been in the final four together. God, like six or seven times since 96. But anyway, uh, then they get the, the shit kicked out of them so substantially that you go, okay, how close are they really? And then, as it stands, as I'm recording this on December 30th, they've done kind of nothing this offseason. And what they have done, which, by the way, I would buy on, and by buy, I mean I'm bullish on, um, the man known as KK from the Korean League, um, they were they were certain Miles Michaelis was going to be great. So, you know, I got I got a yield on that, and he is coming off being the pitcher of the year in the Korean League. So, but but I I, I didn't really have much concern about the pitching. I mean, I understand that you, you don't necessarily have five starters that you go good. We got our guys, but 
what I what I do and clearly have concern about is the offense in a big way. I had concern about the offense in October, and that was with Marcelo Zuna. And now, barring a surprise, he's gone, which, by the way, I am in full support of. And there's not really any indication that they're going to make an acquisition. And for the life of me, I cannot figure it out. And I guess, and this is how we got on, this is why I'm talking about this today. Somebody posted a link on the TMA fan page to uh, this from KMOX. And I went and listened to the interview because headlines and people writing about interviews oftentimes, you lose the context. You can't hear the person speaking and their the pitch and tone in their voice and, you know, the questions that lead them to, it's, it's important to listen to it, especially if you're going to talk about it. Um, and you have the time to listen to it, as I did. So I went back and listened to it. It was Tom Ackerman, who, for my money, him and Maurice Drummond are superhuman as far as their uh, niceness, uh, just two of the greatest people. Um, Tom Ackerman interviewing John Mazalak. And I have to say, the headline, which is we have, Mazalak says, we have faith in current roster, aren't trying to, quote, win the offseason. I think the headline is, I don't think it's intentionally misleading, but after listening to the interview, I would tell you it isn't, it isn't necessarily reflective of the interview. I think Tom's questions led him into some of these answers, whereas I actually got a sense, and maybe I'm off on this, I got a sense that he was saying that there's a lot of time left still in this offseason with regard to trades. And maybe I'm conning myself into they're still looking at a trade of some kind. But they they talked to well, Tom asked and come and you have a lot of depth in the outfield. So it sounded like Tom said, what do you think of your position players? And then John Mazalek said, we have a lot of depth in our outfield. So I want to make sure I make that clear because it's important. It's kind of the same thing where I get upset when I watch cable news and I see the little things that I notice they're doing that I don't know if the people who didn't, don't do this shit for a living don't recognize, but yet it's so manipulative. It goes back to my word of the day, manipulation. Except we're not talking about family law now. Now we're talking about media. And so Tom asked the question, something along the lines, and you have a lot of depth in the outfield. And I thought to myself, boy, I don't know what he knows, but what I've seen, they sure as hell don't have a lot of depth in the outfield. I mean, where? Who? Who, where? As in, who would it be and what position they play? There are a lot of guys who play in the outfield by definition, but none of them have within the last year shown that they can hit at the major league level on a consistent large sample size basis. It doesn't mean that it will not happen in 2020, but so much of the Cardinal model at this point regarding the offense seems to be, to me, hoping guys return to form or emerge, as in hoping guys return to form. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt, uh uh, Paul DeYoung and Matt Carpenter and I guess Yadier Molina although I mean are, are we really thinking that that like ship is all of a sudden going to start sailing at full mast again I mean you know uh, call a game and you know perform ridiculously admirably behind the plate at, at, at 37 38 years old uh, and catching as many games as he does but it's not like I'm sitting there going I can't wait to see Molina's offense this year he'll do what he does but it isn't like something that you go, let's get that back going. I do, I'm always confused when I see him as high in the lineup as I do. And listen, he's one of the all-time greats, but I 
that doesn't mean that I'm, you know, we can't call it how I see it. And I'm concerned now Goldschmidt was just getting fastballs blown past him. Now, maybe he'll catch up, but I worry about the ballpark in St. Louis having a negative impact on him. Uh, it is not a hitter's ballpark. That's an issue. I think Luke Voigt talked a little bit about that when he was on the podcast a few weeks ago. DeYoung was one great year, but, I mean, that was really concerning at the end of this year. Um, and it wasn't a great year this year, by the way. I'm not talking about this year, of course. And the Matt Carpenter thing. I mean, that. I mean, I hope. Listen, as a fan, I hope. But, I mean, I, I laid out those those four players right there. And... I would imagine, and I'll own this. If I wind up being wrong, I'll own it. I'll happily own it. If you had to bet, are they going to, as a group, perform Dexter Fowler, I guess, although Fowler had a much better 19 than 18. So you're talking about a large percentage of the position players here. (laughs) Are their numbers going to be, as a group, better in 2020 than they were in 2019? It's. I would imagine most of you would say no. Or the answer would be, well, maybe yes, but by default, just because they weren't that great. And so even if they're just a little better, it still doesn't mean the Cardinals are going to be a great offense. So there's that. And that's that's part of baseball. That's part of these contracts. That's part of the situation. Obviously, well, not obviously, but when they signed Dexter Fowler, who I like quite a bit, but I didn't like the deal. Uh, I feel like he's gotten, you know, just he's been hated on in St. Louis by a portion of the fan base, not by everybody, before he even picked up a bat with the Cardinals. Um, and so some of it's just fitting into that particular narrative. But uh, I didn't like the deal when they signed him before, you know, that was in 2016. I didn't like it. And this is the reason why, because you have somebody who hasn't necessarily killed it throughout their career on a five-year deal. So I didn't like that. Um and and I thought that, but the Carpenter extensions like this universally just where when it happened you go what in the world what is going on for real what is going on and um, and I think the Goldschmidt thing was as close to being done when he got to St Louis as it can be and there's just some formalities to it and I could be off the mark on that nobody's like told me anything but I just I, so because otherwise it doesn't necessarily make sense to do it then. Um, and by that, I mean like two and a half months after they traded for him and the story is just so odd. I mean, if it's true, it's true. And if it is, I understand sometimes you have to keep things close to the vest that John Mazalek was just walking around having coffee while the Cardinals were stretching and brought it up. And the next thing you know, they're working on getting it done, but who knows? Maybe it really did happen that way. I don't know. Whatever. Premise being, you get stuck with these things sometimes and you have to make the best of it. And it's brutal. I disagree with a number of them. I am concerned and it's five of the eight position players that we know of and we're not even getting into the gentleman who might be in center field for the Cardinals and Harrison Bader which you know unfortunately has not been a positive but I'm not necessarily sure they're going into the year going he is going to start 150 plus games um and you know it's counting on Colton Wong to carry over what he did last year and um, and then this question mark in left field, which I guess is a guy who hasn't played Major League Baseball yet, and Carlson. And I sit there and I go, okay, you get stuck with some things, fine, but this is you have you have a Cy Young contender in your rotation, you have some really good young pitching, um, in that rotation, 
you have most likely, I would think, the last year of Adam Wainwright and at least contractually the last year of Yadier Molina. You've signed Miles Michaelis to an extension. And there's one obvious element that this team is missing, and that's a, a clear cleanup hitter. And it's just kind of like, this is who we are. We're not going to really make headline signings. We're not trying to win the offseason. It's like, I get that. I've heard that a lot before, and oftentimes I actually agree with it. But you're not even playing this offseason. I don't understand it. And this, by the way, while I realize, I guess, I don't know, I'm not necessarily a loyal listener or follower of, you know, St. Louis sports media, um, I, but I'm under the impression this has kind of become the en vogue thing to do is to, to kill the Cardinals and the Cardinal management. Um in my world, I've been the person, not the person, but one of the people, and completely unaffiliated with the team. I'm going to have a beverage here. My throat's starting to hurt, and I'm spitting takes is what I'm doing. I'm spitting takes. Where I've said, I don't get the criticism of the cardinal, this cardinal spending, or as if this organization is like some woebegone ship. I mean... I guess this decade's most successful National League team would have to be the Giants. I think that would have to be it, unless I'm missing something obvious. And I'm just doing this off the top of my head. If you count 2010 as part of the decade, which I think you do, you have 10, 12, and 14. I mean, I don't know how it can't be. Uh, the Red Sox have a couple world championships. You could make a case with the Dodgers, although they haven't got a world championship. They've certainly been perennial. Um, but, I mean, in the Cardinals... Five NLCSs in the decade, 11, 12, 13, 14, and NLDS in 15, and that was a 100-win season, and NLCS in 2019, plus a world championship in 11, and a pennant in 2013. I mean, shit. I Sometimes I'm just confused as like this, this fucking organization. Like, what? What, what, do, you, what, what do you want? <laughs> if, if you tell me into the 2020s, the Cardinals will be in the NLCS five times, the world championship, and a pennant, I will take it right now. I have no idea how and why there is this, this like, this thing that's become, it, it's just like, it's almost like, it's odd if you see somebody saying otherwise, where you like shit on the organization is just like being concerned about their apartment building and just like, yeah, good point, good take. You know, what the fuck? Some of these people are like intelligent people too. It's a really strange thing to me. However, I am now probably, this is like a politician shifting parties, but not necessarily wanting the support of the base who now <laughs> want to pull for them. I don't necessarily want your support, those of you who use the term DeWallet. And I'm not going DeWalleting. I'm going, I don't know what they're doing. I have no idea. I, I guess here's what I think they're doing. First off, part of me thinks slash hopes they are still locked in on trying to make a big trade for a cleanup hitter. Because otherwise, I have no idea who the hell the cleanup hitter is. And Mike Schilt actually said at the winter meetings, Yadier Molina... You know, he brought the Piatti Money's cleanup, and I just thought, you know, he wasn't, and it wasn't like a real deep dive into it, but Derek Gould had the, the, the exchange, and you're just like, oh my God. I mean, that's your seven or eight hitter. Cleanup hitter? Oh, my Jim Mora playoffs is cleanup hitter. So 
that, that's that's part of me. Although I have to admit, I'm in like in the, in the twenty percent or below confidence level on that. The other part of me is is going. I, I, I guess what they're doing, I guess, is they're stuck. They're stuck with so much dead money. And they wouldn't call it dead money, but contracts that they're committed to. That is what they would say. I'll call it dead money, uh, declining assets that they can't do anything. And some of this in their minds comes off the books at the end of the year. Um, or they'll have some flexibility, more flexibility at the end of the 2020 than they do in 2019. And so the spin is underway, which is we have such a plethora of young outfielders, we have to give them a chance to play to see who can do what. And that, 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 that's, so, so my thought is that spin. I don't think deep down they really believe that. I don't think I think they, they I think they know we're stuck made some moves that we wish we could have back and if we could if somebody could take some of these contracts off our hands right now we would happily do it happily do it happily do it you'd have to replace a number of people in your starting lineup because that's where you would find some of these but that's what I think is going on but what fascinates me about this whole situation is the, I, I think I can use the word anger, the anger from a substantial portion of the fan base. I think it used to just be, oh, this is a wing on Twitter. I think it is a really healthy percentage of the fan base. I'm not saying, you know, like 90% or anything like that, of people going, you know, the complacency is a little irritating. And the thing is, is had the Cardinals lost like a 4-2 to two game to the Braves in Game 5 and been eliminated, I don't think, well, I can speak for myself, I wouldn't have the angst I have about the offseason. But the thing is about that five-game series with the Braves is the Cardinals scored runs in like three innings and the rest of them, they didn't do anything. The offense was an issue throughout. And now your cleanup hitter, this is like when Doug would say, is it me? It's got to be them. Is it me? That's what I'm... Now the cleanup hitter is most likely gone, which again, I'm in full support of letting him walk, but you're not replacing that. And the offense was an issue. And now the cleanup hitter is gone. Is it me? I just don't get it. Unless the, the, the commitment and the dead money is so great that they're just like, we cannot do anything. And we don't value someone out there enough to give up prospects, which we're not as deep on as we once were, to bring in a solution. We don't, Or we don't value the current free agent crop enough to give them the deals they want because now we'd just be adding on another contract that we would regret having. But the shame of it is, is there are pieces on this team especially from a starting staff standpoint, where you go, these guys could be really good in a division that you don't sit there and go, this is, you know, this is the American League East, for example. And it's, I mean, I, for those of you who listen to uh, the radio show, TMA, I was so confident 
that the Cardinals would be making at least one substantial move this offseason that I think I gave our board operator, the Peoria Plowboy, the Plowhawk, I was willing to give him, I think, I don't know what it was. I'm sure some of you will know it. You don't need to email me. It's, it, it's fine. But I think it was either 10-1 or 20-1 to 1 odds on it on a bet up to $100 where he'd be betting $100, which meant I was capped on my exposure at $2,000. Still, hell of a lot of money. But I was, I was just like, there's no way. And I'll take the $100 and it'll be a nice hit for me for $100. But they're going to make us. There's no way they won't. And it's, you know, it's, it's still it's December 30th. Just because they haven't doesn't mean that they won't. But I listened to this interview with John Mazalock. And again, I want to emphasize the headlines kind of came from questions that were kind of leading him to say things like we have faith in our current roster and we aren't trying to win the offseason. Um, so part of me felt like there might might have been a slight tell on their interest in completing a trade. But. As things stand right now, I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't know. I mean, is, is the outfield Dexter Fowler, Lane Thomas, and and Carlson? Is that is that it? And then an infield: the Carpenter, DeYoung, Wong, Goldschmidt, Molina. I guess. I mean, I mean, yeah, you can win games with that. And maybe Carlson's the second coming, Albert Pools. I don't know, but I'm just. I'm. I don't know. And I'm, and let me tell you something. I'll make, let me make this crystal clear. I am not a take smith um, who, who has to defend his take and will die on the hill, of, of, even when the evidence is, is in the opposite direction. So if I am wrong, I will happily say I'm wrong. I've got plenty of those under my belt in 20 years. Uh, but this is one where I'm so confused by it that should they have an offense, should this be the offense they show up in Jupiter with in a month and a half, um, and then they wind up having offensive issues and struggle to score runs despite getting some really good starting pitching performances, you're going to have a fan base up in arms. And I guess the Cardinal strategy is we just went, made it to the NLCS. We've got some equity now with the fan base. But I think for people who, you know, here in St. Louis, we've been very fortunate to see a lot of playoff teams since 2000. A lot of playoff teams. 2000, 2001, 2002, 2004, 2005, 2006, 2009. Seven appearances in the aughts. 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015, 2019. Six appearances in the teens. It's 13 appearances since 2000. Where would you rank the 2019 team? of the 13 that went to postseason. It sure as hell for me isn't in the top 10. And yet it went to the NLCS. But it it sure as hell is in the top top 10. And that's, for the most part at this moment, what's coming back minus the cleanup hitter. And I don't get it. I don't get it. So I am enamored with this because not only am I now getting into the spot of being Cardinal critic, not because I'm like, I mean, this what they've done for the first 19 years of the decade is nuts. I couldn't be more grateful as a fan for it. Every single year they're in the mix. 
Ryan Kelly's the home loan expert, and he is the sponsor of our studios here on the Tim McKernan Show. Without him, we don't have a podcast, so make sure you're supporting our sponsor, Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com. And with interest rates dropping and this being home buying season, this is a prime time to get in and get yourself a great rate and lock in. Or if you want to refinance, now's the time to do so. Ryan Kelly's the person to do it with. He is online at thehomeloanexpert.com. Ryan Kelly, the studio sponsor of this program. Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com. So with regard to the Cardinals, I've been a person who's been pushing back when people will say, well, they didn't do anything in the offseason. They're not spending money. And I go, okay, you might not like it, but three off-seasons ago, they signed Dexter Fowler. And two off-seasons ago, they traded for Marcelo Zuna. And last off-season, they acquired both Paul Goldschmidt and Andrew Miller. So it's just, it's factually, it's, un, it's, it's inaccurate. But, but, that doesn't mean that the talent evaluation has been great. And now, because the talent evaluation and the contract distribution, I believe they feel boxed in. But the thing that, that, that is the most intriguing to me is kind of this, I don't even, because I, I, I wouldn't call it a civil war because I don't think the fans are against the fans. I feel like the fans are, are turning on the organization. Whereas, I ought to do this. This would be a good Twitter poll. Uh, the Blues, and I realize, you go, okay, you're asking six months after they won a Stanley Cup. But the Cardinals were in the NLCS three months ago. So... Uh, the Blues would have an approval rating of like, what, 95 to 100%? Anything less I'd be stunned by. The Cardinals, what would their approval rating be? I really don't know. It's a wide delta. I think we all can agree it wouldn't be in that, in that realm. And I realize one won a world championship you know, a few months ago, one hasn't won one in eight years. But the, the, the point is the Cardinals have been successful for a, a two-decade stretch here. And there's just a real sense of frustration from a healthy portion of the fan base. And if it plays out this year where you get good pitching, but you don't have offense— People, I think, for the first time, are going to go. Okay, I'm. I, you know, I've talked about not supporting. Now I'm real. Now I'm at a point where you went into the season, you had a problem, and you didn't do anything about it. But again, the thing that I keep going back to anytime this comes up is, until you show up in Jupiter, Florida, and you go, "This is our starting eight. I, I, I can't, I can't get all fired up. But I, I saw the that headline, and people were getting upset about the headline, and so I wanted to listen to the interview. And I think the headline is slightly misleading, not intentionally, but slightly misleading on what actually was said by John Mazalak in the interview. For the record, um, Mazalak and I, uh, we historically have done an interview following the regular season or postseason, whatever, whatever one it is. Uh, I guess in this case, it's been regular seasons because they haven't been in the postseason. Now this year, it'll be postseason. Uh, and then we do an interview at the end of spring training. And so far, we have not done that interview, although he said we'll do it in the first week after the new year. So that is what our target is. So I'm looking forward to having the conversation with him. And I, and I and I'll also, honestly, because he's always very good about this, we'll have a conversation away from the microphones that will hopefully give me a better perspective. And if, and if he's in a spot where he's like, yeah, 
we made some moves that we wish we wouldn't have made and we're stuck. And so because of that, now some guys are going to get a chance to play at the major league level that in an ideal world, they might not necessarily be getting that chance, but maybe we'll be better for it in the near term. Perhaps it won't be 2020. That's the spot I'm in, but I can't necessarily run around and say that. I'll go, yeah, I get it. I've been in those kinds of spots too, where I'm like, yep, yeah, we kind of got a bad spot here, but I can't say anything about it publicly. I understand that. But I got to tell you something. I am uh, at this moment. I am. I am. I'm confused as to what they are doing. All right. So I've got. What have I done here so far? I've. Uh, I've done the uh, the family podcast discussion, the marriage story discussion, the cardinal discussion. I haven't even gone into. I guess I'm not even. I don't know. I got a couple good ones here on the fan page, and I know I have a bunch in the email. This one is from Beer Cats, who is a listener. Uh, Iggy, I guess, in Jennings Snapchat with his wife, um, which God bless him for, for. Uh, I don't even know what the right word on that would be. Putting up with, supporting, whatever it would be, he finds it amusing. God bless Beer Cats uh, and Lady Beer Cats. So this is a good one here. Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. Can't emphasize enough how important it is to have a, a financial advisor, but then it's not just any financial advisor. It's somebody who who knows but cares. Again, plenty of people can know but cares, and Mark Hanna helps everyday people every day get their finances organized. You can call him at 314-889-0503. That's 314-889-0503, or go online to evergreenstl.com. His name is Mark Hanna. He is with Evergreen Wealth Strategies, and I can tell you from getting to know Mark here over the last year, that this is a first-class person who has your best interests at heart, and just calling him at 314-889-0503 is going to make you feel better and you're on the right track. Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies, 314-889-0503, or go online at evergreenstl.com. This is deep. This might be where I have to end it, because I've already gone like an hour and 10 minutes, but I really was in the mood to go, go into it today. So, you know, here we are. Hey, Tim. Just got to listen to last week's QFTA. Now, this email was sent on December 17th, so the email's a bit uh, dated relative to when I'm answering it right now. Thought I'd give you some thoughts. You asked about how you know if you raised a good kid, did a good job. I believe that uh, was a question from uh, an audience member about things that I thought were important in attempting to raise my son. I liked your answers. I'd maybe add, don't be a hypocrite to it which probably to an extent goes along with the treat others as you want to be treated deal. But as I get older, I realize that many of my views were hypocritical. I was raised in a very conservative and fairly religious uh, Presbyterian, hi Doug, house. That's what he wrote. I realized that I had a lot of views that A, were shoved on me and B, weren't real convenient to me at times. So how the hell can I hold people to ideas slash standards that I wouldn't hold myself to? This came to light the most at 25 when Amy and I got pregnant, unmarried, not ready for a family. I strongly considered abortion. She didn't really consider it at all other than hear me out. A guy who did a speech in college about why abortion was wrong was now in a spot where it sure would be convenient. Now he went on to have our son and he's 15 and I couldn't be happier. But at that time of panic and uncertainty, I entertained it. How fucking hypocritical of me. 
Many other things have happened that have changed my stances on gay marriage, recreational drug use, etc. I had a brother spend three years in prison for a white-collar crime. I dealt with a family that tried so hard to make excuses for him, defend him, etc. I decided I'm not going to be a hypocrite because if it was someone else, we'd say he got what he deserved. So when I said that to my family, needless to say, it wasn't popular. But I believe it. I've watched people judge someone who cheats on their spouse, but then defend their friend when he or she does it. I've tried to become very pragmatic, remove emotion from responses, and don't be a hypocrite. It's not always been easy, but I think it's made me a better person the last 15 years or so. And of course, like anyone, I'm constantly learning, failing, and growing. So if I think I can instill that trait in my kids at an early age, it will be a success. You mentioned how you don't like listening to your shows from a long time ago because you are annoyed by how you talked and acted on air. I've listened to many of D-Bear's old clips slash sods, etc., and I would agree with you. 41-year-old beer cats wouldn't like 25-year-old Tim. In fact, I'd probably find him to be a douche. But as you know, I was a huge fan slash follower from day one and loved the show then. I never noticed it back then at all. I heard a clip a while back where a guy called in disagreeing with you and you called him a bitch more than once. It was so weird and I have zero memory of it from when it happened, probably because at the time I thought it was funny and therefore it didn't even register. I think it's just maturity. Holy hell, I'm embarrassed when I think about some of the things I did or said or thought I knew when I was 25. So I don't think it's odd that you don't want to hear some of it. I have that Time Hop app, and sometimes when it shows me a Facebook status update from 10 years ago, I think, oh, Jesus, that was so stupid. I think at any point in your life, if you look back five, seven years at yourself, you can sort of chuckle about some things that you thought you had figured out, but realize now that you had no idea. Anyhow, sorry to ramble, but those were two topics you hit on that really hit home with me. Merry Christmas to you and the family. Few things are more fun than Christmas with little kids who are consumed by the magic of it all. We're at a point that Christmas is phones, earbuds, and clothes. It's not the same. Enjoy the chaos while the little guy is overwhelmed by it all. Cheers, beer cats. What a beer cats. What a great email. What a great email. What a personal email, too. I, as a matter of fact, as I was reading it, I scrolled down to make sure it wasn't a case where it's like, hey, don't read my name. Now, I realize Beer Cats is not a government name, but some people know who Beer Cats is, and he's going into some stuff there. Um, so tip of the cap. I'm still scrolling to make sure that it doesn't say, don't read my name. But God bless. So, wow, a lot of stuff there. A lot of stuff there. This might, this might have to be the end of the uh, QFTA, just because I have a feeling I'm going I'm to go deep here. Um, yeah, I mean, anytime you're talking about uh, abortion, you automatically, people will get kind of tense. Um, but when you're talking about it personally, and then with your child, who is now 15, who, if I'm not mistaken, I've met, and I think he won a prize at one of our TMA lives, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's an even different discussion, more substantial discussion, more emotional discussion. And, uh, and to, to recognize hypocrisy in one's own self, I mean, yeah, tip of the cap, major tip of the cap. And in recognizing hypocrisy and being aware of it and then recognizing that as a positive trait and wanting to instill it in your children. I couldn't agree more. What a great thing. What a great thing to be cognizant of being a modern day Philistine, essentially, is what I would call it. Um, yeah, just beautiful. What I have, what I've found here, 
because you're talking about a family and I'm talking about my wife and a, and, and a two-year-old, which of course is a family, but not as large as your family. And my two-year-old has obviously not had near the life experience as your 15-year-old. Um, you know, as a matter of fact, fine, I'll go personal. You go personal, I'll go personal. Uh, that Jameson is, I mean, I just, I, I'll, I'll share this. I'll share it. I almost hesitate to share it. I don't know. I don't want to share it because I feel like something bad will happen if I share it, but I'll share it. Because uh, I was thinking it. Anna, Anna Marie was out, the, the, the Naughty Nine, as they're oftentimes discussed on the radio show. Her friends from college named the Naughty Nine because uh, they were at, in Las Vegas, like on a spring break trip at this point now, going back more than a decade. Um, more than a decade, probably 14 years ago, I guess. I don't know. The, the years are unimportant. The point is my wife's not like going on spring break trips at this point. Um, so it was a little while ago. But they go to Las Vegas and not necessarily particularly alarming uh, is that uh, a gentleman of uh, means uh, in in Las Vegas, I'm not talking about like a pimp, but a guy, I just don't want to go into the name, uh, had taken an interest in uh, my wife at, at the time. Um, she wasn't my wife at the time, but my wife, attractive woman. I don't know what she's doing with me. And I'm not saying that like to do the thing where husbands you know, and guys, you know, say about like an average looking person go, oh yeah, I kicked your coverage. I mean, I'm, this is, this is a mess and it's almost awkward. Uh, and I'm aware of it. So you don't need to like reinforce, I mean, you're welcome to, cause I've seen it or heard it a million times, but I'm aware of it. It's odd. It's not, it, it, it's, it's, it's so odd that people actually just say it to me in, and they do it involuntarily. Like, like a couple of years ago, I recall there was a, an event we were at and introductions were being made and, and the wife of one of the people that was we were being introduced to, she's your wife? Like, or you're with him. It was something like that. And I'm like, she probably deep down feels horrible about saying that. But I was kind of like, nah, I have no problem with that because I'm kind of confused by the whole thing from an appearance standpoint as well. It's, it's off the mark and I get it. I'm well aware of it. it. Anytime I post any family picture, inevitably some guy I don't know goes, what the hell is she doing with you? You out kicked your coverage. So it's standard. So I understand it. But the point is, is someone who looks like me with the height issues, the hair loss issues, uh, the asymmetrical head issues, all of these things should not usually in the range of significant other appearances have someone who looks like my wife. And it, in, in, while I realize if it's taken the wrong way, it can sound like, um, like I'm like, this is a dig me thing. I hope it's not coming off that way because it's really not. It, it's, 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 it's actually kind of, uh, I mean, I guess, I guess you certainly would rather have this side of the deal than the other side of the deal, like say the side of the deal she has, but, but, uh, it's, it's, it actually does, it, it does cut the other way because I think people are just like, what the fuck? This is, this has gotta be something going on. Or people just assume that I'm either fabulously, fabulously wealthy or hung like a Spanish fighting bull because otherwise they just can't figure it out. And I get that. And, uh, and for the record, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not coming after the take, but here's what, here's what I am saying is it doesn't surprise me that this person who it isn't a name that people would recognize, but it was in a position, I think still is in a position, 
of, uh, you know, finding a group of women trying to impress them. And, uh, and so he's trying to impress her. And so he's friends with Michael Jordan. And so I guess they all wind up going to dinner with Michael Jordan and Charles Oakley. And I can't remember the other one. For some reason, I want to say Richard Dent. Uh, anyway. So Jordan nicknames him the Naughty Nine. They go to, um, I can't remember, I think it was called like Light or something like that, if I'm not mistaken. You know, those clubs in Las Vegas, they all have these abstract names and told not to take pictures or anything like that. But Anna Marie still took a picture of Jordan when he's dancing around and then was scolded for, for doing so. But she's like, I got to have something for this. But anyway, Jordan named him the Naughty Nine. They have their Naughty Nine Christmas party. I mean, how in the hell did I go on this scenic route to get to this story about being like in love with my son and being a parent so they have their naughty nine christmas party and uh and it's all these lasses get together and they they hang out every christmas it's been going on forever and uh and so i'm watching jameson this is his past friday and it's just me and jameson and he is he is at, at this particular moment and i don't think this is going to last uh too long because i have a feeling that that the discipline is about to start raining down upon him and it's going to be coming from me and therefore I will be unpopular, but you know, you got to do what you got to do. Um, and we're just playing around and we just, we really, you know, we just, I mean, I don't know. It's a beautiful thing. And I'm sure anybody who's a parent knows what I'm talking about. And those of you who aren't parents, this is the part of the podcast where you start skipping forward. Cause you go, Oh, I just hate this shit. And I, and I was that guy by the way, three years ago. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I totally understand where you're coming from when people talk about their kids or being a parent. I just be like, God, I mean, you know, I'm, you know, it's just not where I am. I'm just not, and I'm not even remotely there. Right. And I can't understand it. And then you experience it and then it's like, it's the best. So anything else is, isn't second place. And I'm just thinking to myself, I'm running around with him. I'm like, this is, this is the greatest thing. And there have been a couple of moments, all of which actually have been within the last few years, where I think to myself, this is the greatest thing. And like, how and how did I get to experience this? Um, when I'm riding around on a golf cart at like, not even sunset, but like, I don't know, 630 at PGA National, each of the last two springs. And I don't know if I'm going to be there this year. I have no idea if it's going to work out or not. It's neither here nor there. But it's the thing that I hold on to, I'll tell you that. And it's just me and my wife. Or is, is it's been me and my son. And I'm just like, or it's just me. And I'm just like, this is the great, because the weather's perfect. You have the thing to yourself. It's January, February, or March. And it's just the great, and you have a billion great restaurants all within within 15 minutes or within, if you want to include Miami into it, an hour and a half, whatever. And it's, it's, it's just like, it's not anything when you're growing up, and I don't want to portray like I grew up, you know, is, is some kind of hoodlum on the streets or anything like that. That wouldn't be fair. It'd be a misrepresentation of my youth. But I also didn't grow up, you know, in a country club, you know, setting uh, in South city, it wasn't even something thought about. And so some of the things that I've been lucky enough to experience, uh, I don't, I don't, I didn't expect them. I didn't, they didn't think they were possible and I'm incredibly grateful. And I also recognize that, you know, they can go in a heartbeat and kind of, kind of, because it's my 
personality. It's a monster flaw, or maybe it's a positive thing, I guess, if you go roundabout on it, but that I expect that they, they will go away, you know, that it will go away. And so if anything, that, that fear of them going away drives me to keep them from going away because I find the things I love and I don't want to lose them. Um, so there's that. And then there's some, uh, some, you know, other experiences where you just go, how in the hell, you know, you know, and, and so I was thinking that I thought of a few times here, actually, I just love the week in between around this time of year. Uh, and it's not that necessarily I'm a huge Christmas guy per se. Um, I could do without the gifts, like for the adults, like you have a family understanding that a certain age you're, you're off the, the gift train and whatever age that is, I, I'll go as high as post-college to as low as like 13. And it's just for the kids. We did that at one of the Christmas parties. It wasn't my side of the family, but I loved it. I thought it was a wonderful thing. Jameson getting the kids are enjoying the hell out of them. The rest of us aren't like feeling the pressure of having to get gifts and stuff that, you know, I can buy it myself. I get, I go to Amazon within 10 seconds. I got it. Don't worry about me. I'm fine. Don't, Cause I don't, I don't want them to have the headaches, you know, and I don't want to have the headaches. That's why I'm a Thanksgiving guy. No gifts, just people hanging out and bullshitting. I digress. The reason I love this time of the year is because people get the one week or so, not everyone. Some people get really offended when I say this for whatever reason. Not some people. I had one guy and I'm focusing on him, which isn't right. Uh, that they, they don't have to, the, the, the commerce in the U.S. kind of comes to an end or not even an end, but is reduced. And so people kind of get to, unplug a bit and they're spending time with their families and friends and people are just in a better place. And I, and I, maybe this was going on in the eighties and nineties and because I was in school or just too young to realize it was going on. It just seems like this has become a kind of a relatively recent phenomenon where people just take that week off and I love it. You don't expect it's kind of like, Oh, you know, get back to me after the new year or whatever. And I love that. It's kind of like, Oh, you got time to breathe and enjoy that which you've been working your ass off the previous 51 weeks for. So I love that. And so I'm in a good place um, with with just being around my wife and my son, just kind of like hanging out. I don't even know what the hell we've done. I just know I've enjoyed it. And I just thought, I'm like, God, I mean, he's becoming more and more of a person I can communicate with. Um, and I just can't, I can hear him right now as I'm doing doing this. And I can't wait to go upstairs and play with him. And I'm just like, God, this is just, this is the greatest thing in the world. Even if I fall down dead right now, I now have been able to experience this and understand it. It's such a huge part of of the human experience. And I'm so grateful for it. Uh, This love I feel and how much I love this person. And part of my parental philosophy going into being a parent, speaking to what Beer Cats wrote about, was certainly drive home, treat others how you want to be treated. I mean, that's, that's, that's the same thing. So like when he has one of his tantrums and he starts, you know, throwing crap or hitting me or whatever, and I go, Jameson, would you like to hit, would you like it if I hit you? No. Okay. Then you can't hit people. So I try, I try to do like what I try to do, like when I'm reasoning through this cardinal, you know, uh, angst amongst the fan base and go through the reason process. And of course, as many of you know, who have had two-year-olds, you know, that that's not, that's not possible. That's now, of course I'm as not being a parent when I'm thinking this, I'm like, well, of course I will reason with the child. And I'm sure people were listening to this going, sure you will. Great idea. You know, and cause you know, cause you've been there, you know, it's not possible. Not because 
they're like these beasts, but because their brains haven't formed to the point that you can go that direction with them. It's just not the way that it works, and it's not going to necessarily work ever, perhaps. I mean, that I'm going to be in a different place when he's my age, if I'm even around. That's, that, that's, a, that's a long putt for that to be the case, uh, for me just to be around when he's 43. So, so it's one of those things that when people talk about you know, I value it. It's the same thing I talk about with like how I feel uh, older people in in the U.S. at the very least. I don't know about the rest of the world. They're kind of like cast to the side once they're no longer contributing to the nation's GDP. You know, you're not working anymore. OK, have fun in Florida for a few years and then the retirement home. And then, you know, hopefully the kids can take care of you and that'll be that. But there's wisdom there. There's experience there. And so here's Beer Cats, who's right around my age. He has a 15-year-old, though, and he can speak to some of this stuff. And I think about what you're saying, and I'm like, yeah, man. What a, what a great thing to not only focus on the treat others are going to be treated. Don't give a fuck about somebody's background, race, gender, religion, lack thereof, sexual orientation, all of those things, all the wedge issues that'll get cable news ratings, but I don't want anything to do with for my family. Uh, and just treat other people how you want to be treated. That's it. You know, but, but inherently there are going to be some things that inevitably, even, even if that that's truly instilled, which is not an easy thing to instill, but uh, that you'll find some things will be hypocritical. And, and I guess in this case, what you're saying, Beer Cats, is you found yourself being judgmental, and it sounds like you trace it back to religion. Um, and I guess that could be, yeah, I, I don't know. Because, I, I, and I'm not, this isn't, and I know that wasn't your the point of your email. Uh, but, because I, I mean, plenty of people I would think would be described as uh, not religious who are judgmental in different areas, not necessarily the abortion issue per se, um, which is more often than not in the U.S. at this moment tied to religion, but certainly not universal that way, uh, that you can that you can call yourself on it. I mean, I think what a, what a healthy trait. Awareness. It's essentially awareness, isn't it? So God bless in that capacity, big time. And something now that I'll be cognizant of yeah, I mean, I guess I guess it's a conversation I'm having with my son. It's a one-sided conversation. He's sitting there beating the hell out of me, and then I say, "Would you like it if I hit you?" And just for the record, this is an Adrian Peterson situation. I'm not hitting him, but I'm trying to make the point, and it doesn't matter. It's still going on, and so then I go, "God, is there something off here?" And then I, you know, then I read a little something about it. And it's like, yeah, that's what it's. He's a two-year-old. What, what do you expect here? But I don't know. This is my first time down the road. So if we were to have another kid. I'd be better prepared for it. I will say, though, this, this, this child, I, as I said, I can't get enough of him, but I do feel he's got to be on the extreme range of bat shittery. It has to be. And it's funny, another digression, welcome to the scenic route. Maybe that should be the name of this. Uh, how when I interview these people, uh, as we started the podcast with the family interviews, and I ask them about their kids, go through each child and, and talk about them now as a child and as, as adults. And it's amazing how across the board and some of my peers who are my age, who because it sounds like anybody anyway, all of the children are, you know, sent from heaven at, at a, up, up until a certain age, maybe like up until like 10 or 11, it seems to me. Uh, that now these parents kind of go, oh, yeah, well, you know, she was she was great. Bit of a 
bit of a drinking problem, married a guy who wasn't really a great guy, kind of an asshole. But, you know, she was a good kid. Could kind of tell she had this. I'm just like, whoa, <laughs> this is great. First off, it's great. Secondly, they can recognize the traits early on. And so if my son winds up being really calm, I'll be stunned. I just don't know how the hell. So he's, 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 listen, it's great entertainment, but holy shit. Uh, you know, this is so I'm anxious to see. But th- th- I, I can kind of spot this stuff uh, going on. Uh, you know, when he was like a couple years in, he would kick in his little chair and have this look of like intensity. And I'm like, man, this guy means business. So it's not surprising to me. The intensity is still there two years later. I guess this is just kind of the thing that you're learning as you go along. I'm learning it. Many of you have already been there and many of you aren't there and just don't care about this stuff. I understand the parenting topic when you didn't have kids was one of the absolute worst topics, but I'm, uh, I'm answering the question. I'm answering a question. And now into something that has nothing to do with parenting. Uh, This, which is, um, I guess, essentially maturity. And yes, you're correct, Beer Cats, with regard to listening to um, myself, you know. And I don't know, I don't know what caused it. I think some people say, oh, it was in your parent. No, that's not it at all, because uh, this is, this certainly has been going on longer than 2017 without question like who I was in 2005 versus who I am now just different different totally different I mean I I guess there's a lot of similarities I shouldn't say but to me behaviorally um on the radio in particular and I don't know what was going on I, I guess I could theorize but in a way it sounds like it's trying to like use a get out of jail free card but I just didn't sleep from about 2003 through 2008. I didn't sleep. Um, I would play poker nonstop, which couldn't have been healthy. It couldn't have been healthy for like social interaction because it's, a, it's an isolationist game. Um, I enjoyed it. it. It certainly, I think, taught me some things, but time wise, it was not healthy uh, and not sleeping. And then the highs and lows that come with poker. I mean, you can do everything right and still lose. Uh, obviously, a lot of times you're not going to do everything right and lose. It's just not healthy. I, and, and I was going out a lot more then, and I think that contributed to the sleep thing. But, uh, yeah, I hear myself on that, and I just... And I, it's not like I've heard a lot of it, but I'll hear it and I'll just go, what? I mean, fuck you. Who the fuck are you? You know? So I don't know. I don't. I. I don't think. Uh, I don't think. I don't think I would listen to myself in 2014 or 2012, and notice a huge difference from 2019. But if I listen to myself in 2012. In comparison to 2005, I think I wouldn't even recognize it. And because it would be a hell of a lot closer as far as uh, years, it would probably be even more painful. And painful maybe is, is too strong of a word, but maybe more horrific to me that like, wow, that what the, I mean, just what the hell were you doing? I don't know. And I'm going to answer for it. Um, it's, it's, it's embarrassing. Um I mean, I might, I might, I might, the way I'm talking, it might be sounding like I'm making too much of a deal out of it. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know what I'd be. I'm sure like a therapist could get to the heart of it as to why. 
but um, I, I really don't know, and I wish I was better then, um, but, you know, I, I suppose it's all part of the journey. I mean, it's not like something that, I, that owns me by any means, but uh, it's just, it's, it's, cer- it's certainly something I'm aware of, and it's interesting that you, Beer Cats, lay out that uh, you listen to the segment and you barely, you don't even remember it, but that's probably because if you did remember it, you would have thought it was great at the time. And yeah, I, th- I think I think I'm familiar. There's a couple that I've heard where I'm just like, oh, I mean, just it's like it's it's, it's honestly I've said it a few times. It sounds like I'm on cocaine. That's what it sounds like to me. Now I know I didn't do cocaine, but if I didn't know and I was just listening to this person, I'd go, oh, that guy does blow. That's what I would think. Um. So I don't know what was going on. That's the thing. I, mean, I know I didn't, and I know I didn't do drugs in, in general. So it wasn't that. I, I don't know what the hell was going on. That's why I, that's why I theorize, because I, th- I feel like it started to change, um, like in 2009, 10-ish in there. And that's when I got my sleep right. But, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, and I don't, and I, I don't even like to say that because it makes it sound like, oh, I was an asshole because I, or I was whatever the fuck was going on, because I didn't get sleep, and then it like excuses it away, because uh, this was radio behavior. I, I, I can't even imagine what the what was going on, you know, away from the radio, because like you, you don't have recordings of that, but the radio stuff I can hear, and I'm just like, what the fuck, just like really, like what the fuck, I don't know. So I don't know, but it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, and then you bring up the time hop app. I think my wife has that cause she'll show me pictures of us like from eight years ago. And where were we on, you know, on this date in 2011? And I'm like, I'm doing the math and I'm like, what about there? And then sure enough, they look at us and go, Oh my God. And then how in the hell, by the way, when I was like in my early mid thirties, do I look like I'm in better shape at 43? And I guess it was just, I didn't, I didn't know anything about, I, know, I could have, it's my own fault, nutrition and just like, just like, just, I'm just like, ah, you look, what I look back on it, it's, it's one of those phrases, youth is wasted on the young. I think that's what it is. And, and it's not because it's way, it's just, you just don't know. So it's kind of, it's, it's not like anything can change about it. You don't know. And so then as you you know, now with me, with my fucking shoulder, which is on month three of still bothering me. God almighty. And it's all from just like lifting for me, heavy weights. And, and the guy, my physical, my physical therapist goes, I'm not trying to like be mean or disrespectful, but what are you doing? (laughs) Yeah. I go, you know what? It's a great question. The fuck am I doing? What do I need to be doing this for at this point? Well, I don't know. Like you can still lift, but you don't need to be doing this. What am I doing? And then I hurt myself and then I can't lift. And then I go, and one thing, if like a bad beat, like I wasn't doing much and then I just got hurt, but I did this to myself. Stupid shit. But then I look at that and I go, and it's not like I was like obese or anything, but I go, God, I just was soft and I didn't know any better. I can't because now that I track all this stuff, I can't even imagine what it, what my numbers looked like then. I'm talking about calories and proteins and fats and carbs and all this shit. Because once you're aware of it, you know this is kind of a formula. It's pretty, you know, ABC. 
Oh, but that's what I'm saying. The, the wisdom and wisdom, well, wisdom is not the right term because to me, wisdom's like, therefore it's pot. You just get it. You just gain experience and then you make decisions based on experience as opposed to intuition. And that's the positive, which once again goes to why I value talking to people who are in, who are older, Take whatever age range you want to start with. I don't give a shit. doesn't matter, but who've been there. How can you not? They've done it. But yet oftentimes we cast him aside. Oh, well, you know, he's retired and been retired for five years. So I don't really know. Well, he still knows how to play the game, man. He might not physically be able to play the game, but he still knows how to play the game. And I'm not talking about sports. I'm talking about life, talking about relationships, business, whatever. I don't know. I don't get that. But when you, when you talk about like posts from five or seven years ago, there are things that I saw that I posted on my Facebook page, like they'll pop up and it's like, I'm having a conversation with like listeners that <laughs> wasn't on the fan page. And I go, what in the hell was I doing? Like, was I like, you know, but that's just how you viewed social media differently. Radio. I can't imagine. I mean, I hear the stuff from like 2005, 2006 and I'm just like, what in the world? But I don't think I would listen to like 2012 or 13 or 14 and go, yeah, what in the world? Because I feel like it's kind of been now about 10 years of nine, 10 years of, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, by the way. Maybe somebody, maybe Swope will point out a couple segments and I'll have to go into a therapist's office and go, okay, we got to dig into this because I'm, I'm a fucking mess. Um, I don't know. So I don't know. I, I don't know. And it's one of those things. It's like, okay, questions from the audience evolved here out of nothing. Um, and I'm glad it happened, uh, but, but it wasn't, but the, the podcast was supposed to be interviews and I fucked up and I said, okay, we're going to do a new interview every week. And now we've set a bar that's just like nuts. And I don't, I don't know how much longer that can continue. We'll still do interviews, but I just don't think it's realistic to keep doing them once every week with a new guest. It's just, it's, you know, this is not a Hollywood production here. Um, and we've brought so many great names from politics and sports and media and entertainment on the podcast, but you know, it's, it's, it's tough to, to bring people in new every week, but questions from the audience kind of formed. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I can just talk by myself. I've always been like the person, at least since 2007, who like gets the ball in the hands of Doug or the cat and then get the ball gets back to me. And then I give my opinion or whatever, and then get the ball back out. And so this 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 has been um, this has been new and a positive certainly, and I'm as I always say anytime I talk about question from the I can't believe people sit and listen to me just sit here and wander for like an hour and a half. But hey, I'm glad you do. I guess people say it's just honest, and you don't know where it's going to go. It's great. You're exactly right. I don't know where it's going to go. I think you meant by saying you don't know where it's going to go, like you the listener don't know. But I don't know where the fuck it's going to go. I mean, Beer Cat sends in this poignant email, and I'm all over the damn place as usual. But um, yeah, I think I think it's I think it's a hell of an observation. You know, it's funny. There's a couple times where I'll see things on the fan page, and I'll be like, "What the?" I'll read somebody's comment. I'll be like, "What the?" Because usually, most the the culture of that page, for the most part, is is respect for the most part. I mean, you recognize some personalities you know, looking to do this or that. But for the most part, the culture is respect. And then occasionally, like a poet, you'll go, what the fuck? And then I'll notice it's like somebody who's, you know, in their early 20s. And and uh, and part of me wants to like kind of pull them aside and go, 
I was that asshole. Uh, and, and I might still be that asshole, but I was an even more intense asshole. And I don't know if there's any way to like coach you right now, but you might not realize it, but you really look like a fucking asshole right now with what you're writing to people in a public forum with your name on it. But uh, it's not my place. And, and who am I to do that anyway? But I think it's incredibly, it's, 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 it's a great email. It's a hell of an email. If I could give you a prize, I'd give you a prize. It's such a good email that I, I, I've spent so much time on it. It's pretty much going to wrap up questions from the audience. Otherwise, this is going to turn into like the Irishman. But, um, it, you know, very personal, tip of the cap, and uh, just outstanding from a, an awareness, parenting, hypocrisy observation standpoint, tying it into old clips of the morning grind. Oof. Yeah. Ah, I don't know. I don't know. It's like people who, uh, I can't, I mean, I can't believe, cause I know I was like, I, I rarely now it'll come. I think, I think it's also the way the broadcasting is broken down now before you only had so many options. Now, if you don't find our shit amusing, you don't have to listen to it. And then you want to hear sports. You got, you know, you got Bernie Miklas or KMOX or KTRS or whatever, or satellite or podcasts. So you don't have to listen to it. But then when the thing started, I guess we might have been the only show in town as far as sports at that time. And so you wanted to hear sports and then you got this asshole on there, you know, talking about whatever I was talking about, talking the way I was talking. I can see, and I used to get some hate mail and be like, they're fucking assholes. What do they know? And then, as it turns out, I was the asshole. I am the asshole. Awful. But... Uh, I appreciate the email. It's a great email from Beer Cats. All right, as always, I, I, what did I do? I answered one question from the audience and just told stories the whole time. Hope you enjoyed it. I I, I always enjoy it, but today I was like, I, I want to I want to do some questions from the audience, and I could go another couple hours. As I sit in my basement by myself, but um, I think we'll cap it here, and I'll save these questions for uh, for next time. So as always, send your questions in T McKernan at InsideSTL.com. Thank you to our sponsors, Ryan Kelly, James Carlton, Mark Hanna, Johnny Landoff Chevrolet, Seth Goldcamp, Design Air Heating and Cooling, online at designairservice.com. I'm Tim McKernan. This has been another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh cosmic crisp apples. There are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays, and Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. And right now you can save when you shop your faves. Just buy six or more participating sale items and save 50 cents each with your card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music, and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're gonna pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.